How are you all doing today? Happy Movember to you. It's good to see all of you. Um, just to apologize for not seeing you last Sunday, I was struck down in the early hours of the morning with a viral thing which had me spinning out. So I had the whole day in bed and I would have much preferred to be here with yourselves. But I understand that Esteban did a fantastic job. Yeah? You, go, you all were here for Esteban last week. Um, some of you um, came expecting to hear about fasting, but Esteban wanted to talk about the righteousness that you have in Christ. And so uh, we'll have to come back and revisit that at some point in time during this series where we can do that. But as you know, we are in the middle of a series of pursuing the heart of God. And we've got a chart behind us about um, the spiritual disciplines. Now, spiritual disciplines are things like prayer, worship, study, spending time in solitude with God, spending time in silence with God, walking in sexual purity in your relationship with God, uh, mutual submission to one another, celebration, all different aspects of how we do church. And depending on your um, tradition, you would find yourself viewing spiritual disciplines in a particular context, in, a, in an institutional kind of tradition. In some Catholic traditions, we do know that there are charismatic Catholics who, who love Jesus, but in, in, in terms of theology, there is this understanding that disciplines are used as a means of penance, as a mu- means of getting back to relationship with God. With the more conservative evangelical perspectives, spiritual disciplines in a sense are to do with um, proving the righteousness that you have. With a liberal don't really need to practice the spiritual disciplines, but under a grace context, uh, what I positioned to you in the message two weeks ago was that we are called to get to know the Father in a deeper way. And so any one of these spiritual disciplines, be it prayer, be it fasting, is about or a means of deepening your relationship with the Lord. And so that's the context in which we are going to be looking at today's message in, show Him the money. Now, uh, some of you with hoping that we'd come out and be saying how we can tell God to show us the money. You know, a la Tom Cruise. Show me the money! <laughs> but we're first called to show God the money. Amen? I don't have that little funky dance that he had going on in that film. But we're called to show him the money. And what I really want to get into our thinking and the way that we approach and steward our finances is that there is an understanding of how we can deepen our relationship with the Father in our dealings with money. So the first question we look at today is, how do we get to know the Father in the area of finances? The second question that I want to tackle with us today is, how do we become like our Father when it comes to finances? And the third question is, how do we steward our blessings such that God's blessing is increased, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Now, in today's society, this applies right across the board to men, to women, to old, to young, to different skill sets. In every environment, people are earning money and therefore are called to become responsible for the way that they spend their money in relation to God. I think we all know this very well when we put it in these kind of contexts, but money is an idol when it is used the wrong way. And it's a failing idol. Just if you consider money in in itself, before we begin to discuss motivations and hard attitudes towards money, the very nature of money is that it is a temporary expendable item. It's not even real. You can't even take the piece of paper that says the bearer of this note shall receive a pound. 
equivalent to a pound of precious material back in the day. But these days, there is no direct correlation between your ability to take a 10-pound note and buy 10 pounds worth of silver, for example. Probably right about now, silver would cost you in the, in the region of thousands of pounds on a, on a pound as opposed to one pound weight for weight. So in terms of as a material object, it's simply an instrument which is a tribute to the value rather than containing actual value in itself. And it's a deception to think that we can, let alone whether we should, put our trust in the trust of our lives in a temporary God, in a temporary God called money, when there is an eternal God who's watching on all of the time. The issue with an idol is by its very nature, by its very design, it obscures the view of the greater. So if you think about Gollum in that film, Lord of the Rings, he becomes obsessed with his precious, the hollow ring that he holds in his hand. And all he can think about is that, so much so that all of his attention is focused in on this ring all of the time and fails to experience the world around him. The same can happen when we begin to adopt a, a similar heart towards God, uh, towards money. And the issue is this, it is impossible to truly know or trust the Father if money is holding a central place in our hearts. Let me say that again. It is truly impossible to know the Father when money is holding a central place in our heart. In Luke 16, verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Say it with me. I cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. So how do we know where our heart's at? How do we know where our priority is at concerning God and concerning our finances? Oftentimes, our allegiance is demonstrated in a variety of areas, in the way that we use our time. How much time do we spend slaving away at a job in order to generate finance, in order to fuel the type of lifestyle that we would like to live? Perhaps in the way that we speak about our, our money and uh, the attitudes that we hold towards our money. And it's most plainly exhibited when our God is tampered with. What happens when somebody asks you to give them a tenner? Ooh, I've seen the way you dress, my friend. I know that this tenor's not coming back to me. Oh, I couldn't possibly give you that money. What happens when your possessions get stolen? I can't believe it. Somebody took my 100-pound bike. You know, that bike was so important to me, I'd invested everything in it. And it's true, there, there isn't a value attached. But when the God of mammon is being tackled in our life, there is an additional response. Perhaps what happens when somebody promises you that they are going to give you back 100 pounds that you've lent them, and you don't get it back? See that guy over there? See that guy over there? Don't lend him any money because he's guaranteed to steal it from you. Guaranteed. And also, he's not even really a Christian. I heard him saying the other day because of some of the things that were coming up, he's not even really a Christian. So let's just steer clear of him. Maybe that's never happened here. I'm looking around, everyone's like, that, that could not possibly happen in the kingdom of God. Where are our priorities? Are our priorities there to become rich so that we can get the things of life that we desire? In John, uh, 3 John verse, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. 
The problem is if we are just prospering in money, we are just prospering in money. And that can be stripped away in an instant. But the issue is, is that true prosperity flows out of the richness of your heart. And that can really be measured in the types of relationships that you have, in the way that you deal and approach with people around you. I watched a, a film yesterday called Margin Call, which relates to the financial crisis in 2008. And in that, there was this interesting character. And all he would do would ask, how much did he get paid? in last year's bonus. How much did he get paid in last year's bonus? Oh, you know, he's going to really struggle to pay for that house now. All he was caring for was the material things which he could see in front of him, and that is a place of poverty. Though he was getting paid hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, his obsession with money was a place of poverty, because when you look into his heart, there's only a false idol there that is frittering away like the sands of the sea or the waters that recede at low tide. What is it that gets us there? It's the love of money. 1 Timothy 6, verse 5 through 10 is a very important section in this context. Men, the useless wranglings of men and corrupt minds and destitute of truth who suppose that godliness is a, is a means of gain. I want you to come back to that later on. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." Money in and of itself is a neutral object. It is a tool, it is an instrument to be used by those that are master over it, not in submission to it as their masters. But when we choose to love money, we put ourselves in subjection to money, we make it our God, and that is a very dangerous place to be. It's no longer a neutral object operating in our life, rather it is an object controlling our life, and Scripture says that out of that will flow all kinds of evil. Now, I've seen examples of all kinds of evil. I've seen broken relationships where an inheritance or a will gets distributed amongst family and people don't get what they think they should get, broken relationship. Or when there is divorce, sad as that is, but when that happens and people are fighting over who gets what percentage, prenuptial agreements, all of that sort of thing. The way that we cheat our friends out of 10 pounds, the way we complain when we've lost five pounds, the way that we're always scheming to make money in streams that are not even honorable. The love of money begins to put an onerous burden on people which they cannot fulfill, and it leads to brokenness. And in this passage, we read at this beginning, this verse, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Let me say to you that this struggle with money as a God affects Christians just as much as it affects non-Christians. And it even affects those who are pretending to be righteous, because they are coming to use the principles of the kingdom of God. I know, I know, you know, they talk about sowing and reaping, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sow because I'm going to reap a harvest. And especially when that preacher gets up there and says, 
you know, I believe God that someone's going to give a thousand pounds today. They're going to be a million next, next, millionaire next year. That's me. I'm going to be the first out there. He's only going to let eight people give a thousand. I'm going to be the first one there. Practicing great holy spiritual principle. But the goal of being a millionaire at the end. It's a heart issue. There's no quick fix. We're not here to preach about money as a quick fix scenario or the principles of the kingdom of God as a quick fix scenario. My dad always says this to me, Gabriel, make sure when you're giving offering talks to remind people, nothing beats an honest day's work. And it's so true, especially in this time and in this context, nothing beats an honest day's work. And every Christian should be striving, if they are not in employment, to be able to get into employment as opposed to taking a backseat and just letting things happen all around them and taking the money that comes their way without remembering that there is a gift that God has placed in your life and he's calling you to use it for his glory. But then we do have those who come and say, I will gain by the means of the spiritual practices which the church extols. And I want you to know that God knows that sort of an attitude. God knows that sort of a heart. And it's not the right place for you to be moving from. This is really a heart issue. And the the transfer of our heart allegiance from mammon to God involves a growing in trust. And the question that I want to ask you is, who are you trusting to put food on your plate today? Is it knowing that you have 50 pounds in your bank account, or is it knowing that the Lord is your provider? What about when you get down to two pounds in your bank account, and you really want more than just a Mac double cheese with some fries on the side? Who are you going to trust then? Is it the two pounds that's in your account, or is it the God who's called himself your provider? The issue of trust is a key and central issue in this question. And Paul had something to say about this. Actually, Paul had a lot to say about this. But I want to read to you from Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. He's speaking in the context of an offering that a church, the Philippians, have given to him. He says, I'm not speaking in regard to my need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And with that simple verse, knowing how to be abased and how to abound, Paul begins to speak directly to the heart of many of you sitting here today concerning your identity and the foundation that you've placed your life on. Going through good and going through bad times is a fantastic teacher for learning how to steward your money in good times and in bad times. Probably when you get into bad times that you'll start to figure out how to make budgets how to track your cash flow, how to make sure that you are saving wherever possible, how you're managing your different accounts. You know, some of you would never do this, I'm sure, but when you have a big balance on your credit card account and then in comes your salary check and you transfer that all over to your credit card account, so now you're back to zero or near enough zero, but now you start to go back to spending the credit card amount, shuffling money from one account to another. Of course, no one here ever does that. 
It'll teach you how to start to steward your money in a practical sense. But it won't teach you contentment. It won't teach you how to be satisfied with what you have at this point in time. Only God can teach us that. And I want to say this to you, that whether you are going through rough time financially or whether you are abundantly blessed financially, it is not a reflection on how much God actually loves you. It's more a reflection that God loves you and trusts you so much that he believes that you can get through this. This passage speaks to our sense of self-worth. See, the issue is love is demonstrated by the price already paid in Jesus, not by the comparative pennies that are sitting in your account today, even if you have thousands of pounds. That's pennies in comparison to Christ. And it doesn't honor God that we would consider him to be so cheap that he values us on the basis of what our account reflects. You're more, much more precious to God than whether you have 10,000, 15,000, 100,000 pounds, or even 100 pennies sitting in your account. You're much more precious to God than that, and yet you're choosing to measure his love for you by the standard of your account. That's calling God cheap. See, rather this, God is revealing to himself the true revelation of a father, that he wants to richly give us all things to enjoy. Well, if he really wants to give us all things richly and to enjoy, he just better deposit the millions there already, you know, if he really loves me. That's our attitude. So many people come with that attitude. And I know you're sitting here today. If God really loved me, then he would do this. But you're putting the cart before the horse. See, first, God wants you to know how much he loves you and then bless you. Not bless you in order to prove how much he loves you. That passage speaks directly to our security. See, some people, the rich man and his barns in Luke 12, 16, a man who had such a massive harvest that he went and built barns so that he could put the excess in there. And look, I'm going to be rich. This is going to take care of me for the rest of my life. I can be 65 and still sunning myself in the Mediterranean. It's all good. He was trying to be independent. Many people are trying to be independent with their money, having a self-sufficiency. And yet Paul is saying, you're going to go through times where you have a lot and where you have a little. It's the way that it is. And how do you get through those times? Are you contented with God when you go through those times? And it speaks thirdly to our significance. How many people can be comfortable just sitting with nothing? Oh, I've got to get out there and do something. I got to get out to get, to get a job. I got to be hustling. I got to be moving. I got to make sure that I'm getting some cash flow coming into my life because, you know, that's, that's to do with my ability to contribute in this life, to contribute in this world. That's where my significance is. But how can we sit in a place of not having a lot and be content? Choosing the trust is an act of honoring the Father only as your Lord and as your master. And as you begin to honor the Father only as your Lord and master, revelation begins to flow in your life. Massive changes begin to come forth in your life. See, the first massive change which needs to happen for every one of us is to know that whatever the situation looks like, God is 
good. Whatever circumstance we face, God is going to come through for us, that He is going to give us the strength to make it through. And in the midst of storms, when there's enemies are raging all around you, when you're feeling like the ground is falling out from under your feet because you don't know where the next paycheck is coming from or the next meal is coming from, to know that God is going to come through for you is an incredibly, incredibly safe place. Come back again to that question that we keep asking, well, why doesn't God just bankroll us? Why is He giving us all this hassle? Why is he putting us through the ups and the downs? Because if you think all God wants to give you is a healthy bank account, you've missed out on why he has a relationship with you. Because God wants to give you so much more than just the things that you need to enjoy life now in terms of material belongings. He wants to give you heaven in your life to affect earth. But if you can't handle the little that you have, how can you handle the much that he wants to give? And it's the grace of God that he withholds that until we're able to receive it in our lives, because if we were to receive it, we would destroy ourselves and rip the church apart one limb at a time, because we want, we want, we want. And God needs to deal with our hearts. That's not heaven waiting till we get to heaven. That's here on earth now, seeing heaven poured out in our, in our lives now. There's a call for us to trust God. Second question is this, how then, if we've learned to trust God and renounce the idol of mammon, how do we learn to become like the Father in handling our money? And the way for us to understand true stewardship is to look at how you take care of other people's stuff. We began in the series two weeks ago to look at the, the prodigal son who took what he thought was his, his father's money, and he ended up wasting it away, spending it on women, spending it on drugs. He had not learned the value and the time and the commitment that his father had put into preparing that inheritance for him. If we get running away, looking at the blessings that are available in the kingdom of God without understanding the time and the preparation and the cost and the laboring that God has put into your inheritance, then you're just going to waste it. That verse where it says, no servant can serve two masters, it actually begins a few verses earlier in verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you and to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, this is central to our understanding and central to our teaching here in the church that in order to actually receive the blessing of God, we want to start taking care of something which is some else's, not our own. That's why we get to give offerings in the church, because we're taking care of the kingdom of God. If we can be faithful in giving to the kingdom of God, then we can be faithful with the much that God wants to pour out in our lives. And that's in more ways than just giving your offerings. A simple example, how many walk out of the house and leave tissues that you've blown your nose on? Empty water bottles, 
chewing gum stuck under the seats, coffee cups spilled on the floor. How do you take care of somebody else's stuff? Luke 19, verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And he said to them, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called 10 of his servants to him and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful over a very little, have authority over 10 cities. The second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, also, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you were an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money into the bank, that at least I might collect interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he already has 10 minas. For I say to you, that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. I want you to have that parable in mind while I just cover a few quick points. There is such a spiritual discipline known as frugality. Frugality is a choice to live at a lower level, a lower standard of living. So you might, in your starting out, get a job which pays 10,000 pounds per annum, and you learn how to live on 10,000 pounds per annum. And you know if you're living on 10,000 pounds an annum, it's cheese, it's bread, it's tuna. And it's not much more than that, especially in London, right? And to live on that is living within your means in that context. But say you get the pay rise, you get bumped up to 20. Frugality is choosing to remain at 10,000 and using the other 10,000 for other purposes, to bless those around you, to bless the kingdom of God. So when you get bumped up to 30, you still choose to live at 10. It's choosing to live at a lower standard of life so that you can use your finances for other issues. Very, sounds very spiritual, and it is in a sense. There's another word, another spiritual discipline, sacrifice. We know that we are blessed by God, and we know that God pours his abundance into us, and we don't know what it's like to go a, meal without, or go a day without missing a meal. But then sacrifice is when you start out the month with your monthly paycheck that you know can last you the distance of the month. But making a choice that you're going to give in such a way that it hurts you so that you are living on much less and having to walk instead of take the tube or having to have your tuna sandwiches on white bread instead of having fancy brown bread, whatever it might be, you know. But it's a choice to make a sacrifice. 
Now, they are important spiritual disciplines in a specific context, but I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that poverty honors God? No, some of you are not sure. Some of you do, some of you don't. See, one of the issues that has affected the church at wide and specifically a lot in England is there is a fear of money. In revulsion to the idea of loving money, we've now run so far to the other side that we fear money and to have money and especially to have it in our pockets, well, that's just dirty and we just can't have it. And there's an abstinence in practice as opposed to a redemption of money for its genuine purpose. You see, frugality and sacrifice, they are important spiritual disciplines, but they are only part of the equation. See, if we begin to value frugality and sacrifice without the generosity, without the giving, if we just value and elevate those ascetic principles and don't be generous with the rest, we become like the one who has kept the mina and buried it. Oh, no, as a Christian, you know, just can't be using my money for, I need a scrimp, I need a save, I need to hide it all away. Don't anyone ever know that I've got stuff going on back here. I've got the mattress full of filthy notes. When that happens, we become a miser leading to misery. Poverty in and of itself does not honor God. God chooses and seeks to bless his children. We can choose to take on those spiritual disciplines so that we can be a blessing to other people. But if we're choosing to exalt those spiritual disciplines without the generosity, then we are being like that miserly servant who did not know his master. And some of that then begins to manifest in seemingly spiritual attitudes. You know what? I think Kensington Temple, they should be driving Ford Escorts, those ministers. Definitely not be driving anything more than a Ford Escort. Definitely not that shiny red GTI that's parked out there. I wonder whose that is. <laughs> that's yours. Do you know what I mean? And certainly, oh, oh, you guys aren't spiritual. You, you pastors who wear in Hugo Boss suits. You know what? I love this, that everyone thinks I buy myself nice suits. Every suit that I own is a gift from God that somebody else has given me, and I've never paid for one myself. Amen. But you see, we can begin to develop attitudes because of this fear of money and imposing that on other people, and you guys shouldn't be. Now, of course, absolutely 100%, we are all responsible for our stewardship of the money that God puts into our hands and into our life, ministers and you, okay? So if we're just wasting money, then of course, there needs to be a challenge. But you have to trust that we're stewarding our finances before God, just as we're calling you to steward your finances before the Lord. And then on from that, we see that one mina attitude. But then we see how we begin to approach the one mina multiplied to be 10 or multiplied to be five. See, this important principle is shining through in these two. The one who is stewarding little is getting rewarded with much. How does a 10 mina growth in income result in somebody being worthy to lead 10 cities? Doesn't make sense. But it's about learning to steward the blessing of God. And I want to tackle one principle first. It's this issue of tithing. Should I be tithing? The 
point maybe that I haven't made so strongly yet, but I'll make right now is this, is that the truth is all the money that we have in our pockets, everything that we own, everything that we're wearing, everything that is at home right now is not ours. It's been given to us by God to look after. So in that context, should I tithe or not is a stupid question because it's not yours anyway. Because it's not yours to decide what you do with or don't do with, it is God's. Now, there is such a thing as a tithe under the law, and there is a tithe under grace. Now, the tithe under the law was a legal requirement you must give of your 10%, and your priest was able to come to your home and assess the amounts that you were giving if there was a feeling that you were not honoring God with the tithe. Now, we, of course, are not going to come knocking on your door. Hallelujah. But we speak about tithing by faith and faith alone. Now, how is an offering different to a tithe? It's important that we begin to understand these simple principles. Everything that we give is an offering, okay? Everything that we give, including the tithe, is an offering. It is a free will gift to the Lord. Now, what is a tithe in that context? 10% equals a tithe equals 10%. 10% is a definition of a tithe. All of your giving is an offering to God, but when you hit 10%, you've given a tithe. Because that's 10%. But it's all offerings. Do we tithe on gross? Do we tithe on net? Some simple math for you. You earn 10,000 pounds. The tax man takes 20% off the 10,000. He doesn't wait till you've tithed and then tax you. He taxes you at source. So he takes 2,000 if you're on the 20% bracket. So you get left with 8,000. Now you tithe on that, that's 800 pounds. If you had tithed on the 10,000, it would be 1,000 pounds. So some simple ratio. If you tithe on the net, you are actually giving 8% of the gross, not 10% of the gross. And because a tithe is equal to 10%, that's the definition, you've given 8%, not a tithe. Might sound simple, but a lot of people come, oh, you know, I came to give my tithes today. How much did you put in? I wouldn't ask this question, but how much did you put in? Uh, 10 quid. Okay. Had you given some more money before that? No, no, no. That's my piece for this month. Okay. And how much did you earn? Because I've seen you running around with 200-pound notes Now, 50 quid notes, 200 pound roll in your pocket, just spending it on one meal. So how much did you earn? Oh, you earned 3,000. And you've given 10 pounds, and that's your tithe. Let's go back to school. That's not 10%. But the point is this. Gross, net, whatever it might be, we give out of faith. We don't give from compulsion. We give because we recognize it's all God's. And actually, the issue is we owe God 100%. All we're doing is directing 10% towards his kingdom. We owe him 100%. And if you really, really want to live under grace, give away everything. Try that. See, the people who say that they don't give their tithe because we're under grace are people who are trying to legitimize giving 0.5% and saying that's a gift to God. Let me ask you about that. How do you feel about that? Some of you don't look very happy. (laughs) Is it because I'm touching the idol? Ouch. 
Why should I tithe? I'll tell you a simple principle of why you should tithe. Because when you honor God with the first fruits of your income, He honors you by taking care of you. Think of your life as a boat and this big, nice lake before you and the sun is shining and it's beautiful and the seas are calm. And you're just thinking, if I could just get out there, peace and quiet, no hassle, maybe a few birds flying overhead, no buses, no nothing, no London. And we push our boat out and we find there's a big hole in the middle of the boat. And we start slowly sinking. That's life without the tithe. See, when you bring the tithe, you plug the hole. Then you just get pushed on out there and you sun yourself until you need to swim back to get your lunch. That's why tithe. Because your boat is secured. God secures your life. The devourer is rebuked. You can trust God. You're in a safe place. He's taking care of you because you first put your trust in Him. Let's come back to the point. Stewarding well. The one with the meanness. The one who took one and made ten. He might have been doing it for personal gain, but he at least understood the heart of his master. And he took care of what was not his in such a way that his master poured out the blessing upon his life. Simple things that you do concerning other people's items. You're driving along and you accidentally clip somebody else's car. You stop and you put your insurance information on the car. Don't drive away. That's somebody else's stuff. You find a wallet on the road. Don't take all the cash out and hand it in and say, oh, I just found this empty wallet on the road. (laughs) My favorite is you see like money, or someone pulls out their wallet and they drop 10 pounds and they're just walking on. And you're like, oh, the Lord's blessed me today with 10 pounds. (laughs) And you can still see them. (laughs) And they're still just walking. And they're looking like, where's my money? Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) See, when you steward other people's stuff well, then you understand actually a bit more than just serving the master who's in front of you. By stewarding somebody else's stuff well, you are representing your father and drawing near to your father who is in heaven. You are owning the vision that he's given you for your life. Christian, when people see you, you should be different. You should love in a way that the world doesn't love. You should walk in integrity in a way the world doesn't walk in integrity. You should be generous in a way the world is not generous. That is the Father's vision for you, and when you take it seriously by stewarding what is in front of you, then God knows that's the person that I can bless. And you see how God blesses. That Harsh master is a representative or a reflection of the true father, not in the harshness, but in the generosity, in the fact that he wants to pour out abundance on our life, in the fact that he wants to bless us. He takes the one who's been faithful with small, and what he's done essentially is taken 10 pounds and multiplied it to be 100 pounds. But he says to him, I can trust you, go take governorship over 10 cities. Go get made the governor drive a big Mercedes van, like Arnold. But God wants to bless us. And that attitude, actually, as we begin to take responsibility, 
and steward what's happening in front of us. It begins to align us for the pouring out of God's blessing on our life, whereby we can continue to be a great blessing to those around us. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 9, his big piece on generosity. But I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, what Max was talking about earlier on, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. You see, when God knows that he can trust you, God starts to pour out a blessing on you. And he knows he can trust you because you keep sowing and you're stewarding well. You're taking what God blesses you with and you're becoming generous, becoming like your Father. See, our God in heaven is generous. He gives us all good gifts that come from our Father and who is in heaven and whom there is no shadow of turning. He gives us those gifts and He calls us to be a blessing to those around us. And as you're doing that, it says that God can pour out such a blessing on your life that it causes thanksgiving to abound. Who from? You? You're already giving thanks, doing a great job. But what about other people giving thanks because of the blessing that's poured out through your life? Where does that thanksgiving go? It goes to God. gives glory to God. See, God wants to pour out heaven through your life. That's what I said at the beginning. He wants to pour out abundance through your life, so much so that thanksgiving comes from those around you to God. Thanksgiving is raised and elevated to God because of what you have, the relationship that you have with Him. See, this is a principle that we practice here in the church. We practice sowing the Word of God all the time. Nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, 2.30, 5, 7, Wednesday, Tuesday, two times on Wednesday, actually, in the service and downstairs, Thursday evening, Tuesdays, we're living free, mastering leadership, one, two, in the cell groups every single week, sowing the Word. And you know what's happening? Thanksgiving is going up to God because people are getting saved, they're getting healed, they're getting set free, they're getting discipled, they're getting to know their Father. We practice as a church. You can practice it as an individual. What do you do with what's not yours? Because that will give an indication of what God is going to do through your life. And in Proverbs 10.22, we see what happens when God blesses and you've not made yourself rich with money. See, when you make yourself rich with money, you add sorrow, bitterness of soul, broken relationship. Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. When God blesses you, there's no sorrow. There's no waiting for the tax man to come chasing, or the loan shark to come hounding you, or the family that you've been uh, borrowing from to come collect what they're due. The blessing of God has made you rich because you've stewarded well, you've walked well. In summary, choose your master. We're going to come to a time of prayer very shortly. And I would like for those of you who have your Thanksgiving gifts to start to prepare them before the Lord right now. We're going to come to a time of ministry, but in summary, choose your master well. Secondly, learn to trust 
Give away what is not yours to gain what you could never have earned for yourself. Take what God has blessed you with and be generous with it so that you can inherit in a very real way of revelation of the eternal life He's prepared for you. Thirdly, steward the blessing of God on your life in such a way that others can benefit. I want us to prepare our hearts for a time of just seeking the Lord, and we're going to give our gifts in the context of this. Some of you need to repent from serving mammon, plain and simple. And let me tell you, you, could, you might think, oh, let me just give it another three months, six months, just see if this deal that I'm trying to pull off is going to come through. Surrender it to God straight away. Because I guarantee in six months, you'll try and add another three months, and you're going down the drain the whole time. Surrender to God straight away. Second, some of you need to repent of poor stewarding. Poor stewardship. In a time when you don't have a lot flowing through your, mouth, uh, through your accounts, you're just being frivolous left, right, and center instead of stewarding what God gives you so that you can be a blessing. And a third category, which is, I hope, all of us, that we're seeking the increase of the Lord. So I want to find the band. If the band can be back, that would be awesome. Um, we're going to stand together. And we're just going to start a pray, and I want you to have your offering envelopes ready with your Thanksgiving gifts, because we're going to give as part of this context. I would ask you, the service hasn't yet finished, so please do not leave if you're thinking about doing that until we've spent some time with the Lord. And it looks like you guys might be blessed with my singing. But let's stand before God, and let's just start a pray and to press into His presence. Forsaking the master of mammon and choosing the Father. The second is repenting of poor stewardship. The third is calling for the blessing of God on your life. Amen? So right where you are, just start to do business with God on this first point. We're going to give our gifts in the third point when we come to praise God and honor God for His increase in our life. So for this first one, for those that know that money has become your God, spend some time talking to the Lord about that. Father, we lift up your name in this place today, Lord God, and we declare that you are the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and of earth, and the whole earth is filled with your glory. And we thank you that you would not give your glory to another. We thank you that you would not exchange the glory that is due to you for the filthy glory that we can give to money. And Father, we choose, Lord God, today in this place to forsake that false God, to forsake that false God of mammon or money, and to choose to worship you, to choose to honor you, to choose to praise you, because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, right now, Father, I speak a destruction to those idols in people's hearts, that they would be like Dagon in Gideon's house, fallen over with their arms cut off unable to respond, unable to reply. And Lord God, that your throne would be built in the house and hearts of your people, Lord Jesus. There'd be an elevation, Lord God, of your kingdom glory in their lives. Right now, we're gonna pray about those that have been poor stewards. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would give your people wisdom when it comes to stewarding their finances, Lord. Lord Jesus, that you would show them and expose them in the areas where they can take charge of their financial situation with the excesses of materialism or with a, a seasonal cutting back of the standard of living so that they can make ends meet and pay off their debts. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for great stewarding and wisdom in that, Father, that you would give the, your children the good gift of stewardship 
with their monies, Lord God. And right now, as we come to this third point, let's just begin to lift our hearts with thanksgiving and lift our hearts with praise as we ask God for the increase in our hearts and our lives. As we give our thanksgiving gifts to the Lord, the stewards are going to be coming around with buckets. But let's just start to give thanks to God with our prayer, with our song, with our gifts, and say, thank you, Jesus. We believe you for the increase, Lord. We believe you for the increase, Lord Jesus. We believe you for the increase in our lives. Just start to pray over your gifts as you're giving them today. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we get to come and give a Thanksgiving gift in your house. And Lord, we thank you so much for your blessing on our lives and on our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you've been so good to us in this year, Lord Jesus. We have much cause to give you praise. We have much cause to give you thanks. And Lord, we bring this seed as an offering to you, Lord God. And we begin to say thank you, Lord Jesus. We begin to say thank you, Lord Jesus. We begin to say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so, so much, Lord God, for your abundance in our hearts and in our lives, Lord God. Thank you so much for your provision, Lord Jesus. And Lord, in this place, I begin to believe you for a release of the spirit of increase. A release of the spirit of increase. A release of the spirit of increase in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you begin to open up the windows of heaven over our lives. That you begin to open up the windows of heaven over this church, Lord God. Lord, as we press in for more of you, Lord, as we practice good stewardship supernaturally, Lord, by the Spirit of God, we thank you, Lord God, that we would begin to see increase. Stewards, please do pass the buckets around if you haven't yet had a chance to give. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you so, so much for that increase in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you so much for the outpouring of your blessing in this place. And Lord, we want to thank you for calling us to Kensington Temple, for placing us in Kensington Temple. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that in this house we have been blessed. In this house we have seen your abundance. In this house we have seen your grace. In this house we have seen our lives transformed, Lord, as we sit under your word, as our heart issues get challenged, we know that we get to draw nearer to you, Father. And Lord, the end goal for us all is to draw nearer to you. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to meet with you. We want to know you as you are, Father. So Lord, reveal yourself to us as we begin to cultivate a practice of protecting what is important to you, protecting your house, protecting your kingdom, protecting those that are your children. Lord, as we practice that stewardship, Lord God, that we would begin to know you and your heart and your father heart so much more. Cause our hearts to overflow with love in a way which brings you much, much glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. Awesome. Well, next week, Dudley is going to be back with you as we focus on how we can spend time with God and carve time out for the Lord in these busy times. The wonderful Bible school students that I have the privilege of leading are downstairs right now, ready to serve you with coffee, with cakes, with refreshments. We have a cafe operating downstairs. So for those of you who want to hang out, please do go down and do that. Bruce is going to be with us at the five o'clock, continuing his series on life after death. And Roberts, as mentioned, is going to be with us next Sunday to uh, finish that. Uh, series with his testimony of I Saw Heaven. Do remember next Sunday is our baptism service. So if you need to be baptized, do come and see us next Sunday, 2 p.m. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. See you all very soon. There's a welcome team at the back who would like to meet with you as you start to make your way. So do say hi to them on your way out. Thank you. God bless.